from Pawnee presents Pawnee Spotlight. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of Live from Pawnee. Today, instead of breaking down an episode of Parks and Rec like we usually do, we thought we would introduce a brand new feature called Pawnee Spotlight. And by we, of course, I mean myself and my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? Hey, Alan, I'm doing great. I'm really looking forward to this first edition of Pawnee Spotlight. Me too. We've been talking about doing something like this for a while now. But before we launch into it, Mark, why don't you tell our viewers at home what Pawnee Spotlight is all about? Well, Alan, you know they're not viewers, but yeah, let's, let, let's define our intent. Fair. In a nutshell, Pawnee Spotlight is an opportunity for us to choose a topic related to parks and recreation in some way, and for you and I to talk about it, list some facts, exchange ideas, that sort of thing. The topic in question could be, for example, a real-life person, a character from the show, or anything else that sparks our interest. And by the way, I love that intro. Constantine outdid himself here. I, I feel like, you know, I don't know how late he was up. I heard he was up like four in the morning or something working on that. I, I was sure to ship a box of extra onions to him to make sure he had the fuel to churn out this genius. So good for him. Oh, man. Constantine and onions. It's like kind of Creed eating a raw potato. Yeah, it's like chocolate and peanut. Well, I don't know. No, it's not. Like no, no, it's not like that at all. That's a bad analogy. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, our, our big goal today with this this spotlight episode is to talk about Mike Schur. Um, You know, I, obviously, our, our primary podcast is about Parks and Rec, um, and I think it's safe to say without Mike Schur, there would be no Parks and Rec. I, I can. I, I don't know if I can say that about other things, but I can definitely say it about this show. What do you think, Mark? It does seem like that. Yeah, it, it seems like with the the other shows that he's associated with, he may, uh, you know, be associated with them, but to a lesser extent. But it certainly seems as though uh, Parks and Recreation is, uh, I, I think we've said this before, even off fire, Mike Schur's baby. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Totally agree. Um so let's do this. Let's let's just do some quick facts, you know, and kind of go through those real quick. We're not going to turn this into some boring, you know, bi biography channel bio. But I think, you know, not everybody knows everything about him. And this might provide some interesting context for the viewers at home to kind of understand a little bit about, you know, how we got from there to here. Nice. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So just getting through these, you know, and again, we won't dwell too much here, but, you know, Mike was born in 1975, October 29th in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I think he spent most of his life growing up in West Hartford, Connecticut. Connecticut yeah. I've read, though. Yeah. He, he went to high school there. And then, you know, um, I, his I don't think his parents are in the biz um, per se, um, but his he is the son-in-law of, of Regis and Joy Philbin. Did you know that? You know what? Prior to this, I did not know that. I was shocked to hear that. I wonder if he ever won Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> I don't know, but that would be interesting to watch for sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Final answer. I didn't know it. <laughs> I'm out of control. I, I did read some interesting things, you know, talking about kind of his early uh, life. You know, I think he... He read a biography, speaking of biographies, it was a collection of, of essays um, uh, by Woody Allen when he was 11 years old. And, and that was what got him interested in comedy. I had read that too. I, apparently the, uh, the, the collection of, of uh, Woody Allen's humorous essays was called Without Feathers. And, and I guess he stayed up reading it and that was kind of his mental introduction to the world of comedy. And he's like, oh yeah, this is for me. That's funny. 
Well, and we'll get into kind of his early career here in a bit, but, you know, I, I think a lot of what, what he did in, in the era he did it in, in Saturday Night Live uh, was probably that influence for a lot of other people. So that's pretty interesting. Right. So, you know, I, I think after high school, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, he went to this little school, I think it's called Harvard or something like that. I don't know. Um, apparently he was president of the Harvard Lampoon, you know, whatever that is. I, I don't know. I've, I've heard of something. Uh, I don't know. Sounds like a fad. You yeah, know it's a fad. Is? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and what's interesting here is that he met a lot, I think, of people who both influenced him, but who were along on the ride with him while he was at Harvard. You know, just to drop a couple of quick names. I know we, we mentioned Aisha a couple of weeks ago. She was, the, uh, I think, the writer on, on one of the episodes we just recently covered. But Alan Yang, who's been a frequent collaborator on here, um, on, oh, yeah. on Parks and Rec specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, Dan Gore, uh -huh. um, who really, you know, kind of um, later, you know, uh, births um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, um, yep. obviously Rashida Jones, um, who has a big part on The Office and in Parks and Rec, of course. So, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, the people you meet and you never know what they're going to, how they're going to show up in your life later. But I think those are some important connections for him there. Yeah, I agree. And what's interesting to me is it's not just like one or two. There is a whole is the term gaggle. There's a whole gaggle of people that uh, was kind of in that, that little yeah. group there. Yeah. Although it's Harvard. So you, we probably need something that starts with an H so that there's alliteration. Um, a happenstance. I don't know. Is that a thing? A, ha a haggle. A no, haggle. I like it. Harvard haggle. <laughs> a Harvard gaggle. That's is what they should rename the paper. Yeah. That, there it is. That's it. Let's stick with that. <laughs> Constantine, write that down. Uh, so, so that's, that's kind of just the high level facts about his bi basic bio type stuff. You know, I, I don't want to necessarily get on Wikipedia and read to our, to our viewers at home. There's you know, been a I, lot written about Mike and kind of his early career, but what else stood out to you that maybe I didn't mention there? Well, you know, you, you covered a lot of the basics. Uh, one thing I had read that I thought was kind of interesting is, um, you know, when he was in college, he wrote his undergraduate thesis, senior thesis on uh, a novel called Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. So that, so two things from there. One is uh, he apparently now also owns the film rights for that novel, which is kind of interesting. Uh, hmm. That it affected him that much that he kind of went out of his way to way to do that. And two, wow. um, I, and I've never read Infinite Jest myself, nor am I very familiar with David Foster Wallace, but I do know the name David Wallace, which is where that came from. Remember that from The Office? Very interesting. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Matt Michael's boss, the C CFO of Dunder Mifflin. That's right. That's right. Yep. No, that's terrific. Yeah, and that it's interesting. I think there's a lot. I've I've read lots of other examples, and it's you know you can see them throughout the office and 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 Parks and Rec and other Mike Schur shows, and not just those, of course. But you know, writers love to take those things from real life and kind of staple them on to characters that they're creating in these fictional worlds. And you know, at worst, they're just fun inside jokes for them. <laughs> oh, for sure. No pun intended. Yeah. I mean, you and I do that all the time, right? Oh, absolutely. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. <laughs> Roseanne Cash. 
Look, I, I don't want to get into how nerdy we actually are in real life, but let's just say that once upon a time, one or more of us were software developers and uh, we were really just trying to, you know, not go insane. Yeah, that, that that's a nice, polite way to sum it up. Well done. There it is. Yeah. So, well, Mark, I know we were going to talk a little bit too about kind of just, you know, it's when you look at a 30,000 foot view of everything Mike's kind of been involved in, you know, there's a lot there and it's pretty impressive, you know, catalog of work. Yeah, it really is. You know, my, my first stop, uh, as always is Wikipedia, which is the source of all my knowledge. And, uh, you and know, everything then I just, there's true, you know, that. Yeah. And I pretend it's my own. And then that's, that's how I come across as knowing anything, but you is know, like you said, source means, you Oh my gosh, it make it yours. That, that is so my interpretation of that. You, boom, nailed it. Well done. done. Um, yeah, as you go through any list, let's say Wikipedia, uh, he does have a, a lot of stuff that he's been involved with. That's um, really quite impressive. And I think, though, for talking purposes, I, I kind of narrowed it down to what I would consider uh, the big five, mm, okay. which are... Curious. To me, those would be Saturday Night Live. This is roughly in chronological uh, order. Yeah. Uh, first would be Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Second would be The Office. Yeah. Third would be Parks and Rec. Um, fourth would be Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And fifth would be The Good Place. Um, wow. So That's a good top five. I mean, yeah. anybody would be really lucky to have that top five. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. And you know, I'm, I know I like Saturday night live and I'm as guilty as anyone of not necessarily knowing, you know, the names of the writers and the people involved. So I will admit to you, I was really surprised to learn that. Um, so he was at Saturday night live, uh, 1998 through 2004, roughly. So about yeah. six, six, seven years or so. Right. And he started as a writer. And then in 2001, he became the producer for Weekend Update. Like, well, that's interesting. And interesting piece of trivia. Um, the first show for which he was the producer for Weekend Update was the first episode after 9-11. So no, no, no pressure. That. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he actually talked about that. One of the podcasts I enjoy outside of, you know, live from Pawnee is, is uh, Rob Lowe's literally podcast. And um, if you mm. haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. He, it's always entertaining because Rob's one of those guys that you know, he's been in the biz so long. He knows like four different generations of Hollywood people. And Absolutely. So, you know, he can get on there and hear him talking about Cary Grant in his early life, who who he actually knew by dating Cary Grant's daughter. Um, and if, if you if you young uh, podcast viewers out there don't know who Cary Grant is, get on Wikipedia and look him up because there's some stuff. But, um, you know, all the way through more modern, you know, folks. And so but but Rob has had um, Mike Schur on. Um, I know he's had. Uh, uh, Chris Pratt on. He's had quite a few of the Parks and Recs folks on. And the interview with Mike Schur is very interesting. And and he mentions this specifically about, you know, kind of his first big gig was having to write comedy in the shadow of 9-11. And I, I, I don't know, that seems like a tough gig. <laughs> that is, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? That That has got to be one of the most daunting challenges. Like, how do you take something that's so serious and somber and then who who throws the flag of saying hey society it's okay to laugh that's that's tough i i agree um in fact we've got a quick clip of that let's listen to that real quick absolutely yeah i mean 
I was at SNL. The world blows up uh, in New York, almost literally. And it was like, well, really, what are we doing? SNL, you're putting on funny wigs and crazy makeup and doing three minute sketches. It's like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. But, you know, um, Lauren is, as you know, is such a steady hand at the, at the tiller. Um, yep. and he, he was sort of like, look, the way that New York moves forward and the country moves forward is this show goes back on the air. It's the, the inherent silliness of it is the thing that matters. I had just gotten the job that year. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I had just gotten the job that year of producing Weekend Update. Jesus. I took this job thinking, like, this will be fun. Jimmy Fallon, Tina Fey are my friends, and it'll be fun to just write some dumb jokes about the news and produce this little segment. And then, you know, kablooey. I remember, like, having conversations with a bunch of people about, like, well, what do we do? And Lauren was like, we'll do that at the top of the show. Just do jokes. Just do jokes. Like, that's the point. That's what Weekend Update is. I just remember thinking, like, th Lauren's right. Like, the act of doing things, like... Weekend Update or like SNL or like any TV show or making movies or any of that stuff. The point, the, the, the point of it is the doing of it. It's like, this is a world where these things can happen. And so one way or another, even though it feels frivolous, the truth is, is that like for normalcy to return, everything has to return. Everything we had before this has to come back. And one of those things is we got to make TV shows and movies again, even if they stink. So, so there you go. You kind of heard him talking about, you know, what, you know, in the, in the shadow of 9-11, you know, getting back to normal. And I think sitting here in 2021, <laughs> we understand what that's like, right? I mean, getting back to normal is super important. And I think, you know, comedy is a, a mechanism through which we can do that. I, I completely agree. You know, back then and and, in, and now as well, I think that as, as cheesy as this is going to sound, comedy is a way that allows people to heal e even in the smallest yep. ways by just giving you a freaking escape from a life that is dep depressing you, <laughs> <laughs> but it can, a comedy can be very therapeutic and healing. So yep. good on them. Absolutely. So after Saturday night live, uh, you know, uh, well, I, uh, the other thing that jumped out of me on Saturday night live was I, this is where he meets Greg Daniels. Right. I mean, I think, for everything that comes next, um, that connection is super important. That's right. After Saturday Night Live, um, th the next big thing he went on to was uh, The Office, um, which, uh, you know, he, he worked on with uh, Greg Daniels. I think we could both agree The Office was eh, kind of Greg Daniels' baby, just like Parks and Rec is Mike Schur's. Um, yeah. And he uh, he was a producer. He, he wrote uh, 10 different episodes, most of them in the first uh three or four seasons i think um he, he he i think everybody knows this but i have to say it anyway he appeared as dwight schrute's cousin mose in at least i i want to say at least six episodes that i that can sounds recall. about right yeah yeah I, enough I, that i think he could be considered a recurring character oh yeah no mose was a runner for sure and uh it's funny how many people know him from that role but don't even know that necessarily because uh, you know he, he his face and you know who he is not everybody recognizes him like they recognize a star of the show right but, you know when they realize you know hey that's mose right right <laughs> not necessarily he's the creative genius behind that top five you gave right exactly exactly um and i i think so a couple things on that then one is that i i actually was unaware of this and i have to go and look at this um he also, uh, Mike Shore also co-wrote uh, The Office, colon, The Accountants, webisodes with uh, Paul Lieberstein, who plays Toby. That's right. 
Yeah. Toby and Ryan, who's BJ Novak in real life. I mean, Mindy Kaling, all those, the three of them specifically were, were writers first, actors second. Um, you know, uh, another podcast I'll just give a shout out to is Office Ladies. You know, obviously mm -hmm. what's interesting about their show is they were both there, which is very cool. Mark and I did try to sneak onto the set of Parks and Rec, but the restraining order kept us from doing it the third time. Oh. And uh, yeah, what are you going to do? But, um, you know, they talk about that. And it's funny, you go back and watch parts of the office and there are scenes where, you know, there's a pretty apparent reason given for Toby to leave the room, usually Michael hating him and <laughs> throwing him out or yeah. someone to be in the annex, like, you know, BJ and Mindy. And it was really so they could spend more time in the writer's room. So that's, that's always funny to me, but uh, that's a good point. Yeah. The, the Moe's runners is a funny one. You know, I, that character will stick with you for a long time. So then I think he was with, I mean, I'm just kind of going through my timeline here, right? He, yep. you know, Office started in 2005. He was a writer for the first three seasons, a little bit on the fourth too. Yeah. So that took him through, let's say the end of 2007, beginning of 2008. And I think about that point, NBC said, this is good. Do more that's good yeah. and, and go do it. Go in a room and be good. And so... so <laughs> Mike Schur and Greg Daniels are like, all right. Um, and they created a little something that they thought was going to be a spinoff at first. I think that was actually in the plans that it was going to be a spinoff. That's right, Mark. Um, in fact, you know, I've got a good clip, I think, that demonstrates or, you know, it's kind of in Mike's own words about how that came about. You want to hear it? Awesome. Let's do it. So talk to me about the conception of the show. Like originally was it sort of going to be an office spinoff and then it sort of evolved into something else? Well, do you want to you want to go through the history? A little brief um, history? Yeah, there were a lot of there was a, a desire to do an office spinoff. And when we sat down to come up with ideas for the show, uh, some of them were office spinoffs. Um, but uh, then we come up, came up with this idea and, um, and it, Amy became available. Uh, and liked this idea, and we said, "This is we should do this, and not do an office spinoff." And and from the beginning, it was sort of NBC had just said, "We just want you to create a show," and an office spinoff was one possibility. But they never, right. they just sort of said, "Like whatever you guys, it's like it'll never happen again in the history of television." They just literally said, "Like whatever idea you guys want to do, and this is what we wanted to do." So, and it also had that. It was also unusual because we didn't have, uh, we didn't go through any pilot process. We shot the pilot and then the next week we shot episode two and three and the whole season, first season was shot really before the pilot was edited or anything. Yeah. So it was like our whole first season was like our pilot kind of. So, so I thought that was interesting, Mark. You know, I mean, obviously they, they get this basically blank check from NBC to go create a show, which you heard him say there, it's never going to happen again ever. <clears throat> and I think it's interesting, frankly, that it even happened, you know, that recently, because in the, the old days of Hollywood, you know, that's just not the way it worked for sure. But obviously th these two guys had built up some trust with NBC based on the success of The Office. And I think, you know, I think it's a, from you heard it right there from those two guys from from Greg Daniels and Mike Schur, that's how we came to be able to have what Parks and Rec is. So, um, you know, thank you NBC, thank you Mike Schur and Greg Daniels because that's that's pretty amazing. Oh no question, and yeah, the the one thing that kept on coming to my mind is how how much trust did NBC have to have in those dudes? Because like you know, like they said, and you you said again, I 
yeah. I, I, can't, I can't imagine that ever happening again. That that lightning struck once in that fashion was yeah. fantastic and and you know against the odds to say the least. To say the least. Well, and and the fact that they basically went and they we we know season one was truncated. I think they didn't get into it in this specific clip. Um, and another source, I think it might actually be that um, literally interview on the Rob Lowe podcast uh, where yeah. they talk about, you know, Mike gets a little more, um, he reveals a little more than they did on this older interview from 2011 that we just played the clip from, you know, ultimately they had a shot and this blew me away. This blew me away. They had a shot at basically going with a full 13 episodes in season one mm-hmm. and a Super Bowl launch. And I, 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 you know, Amy Poehler was pregnant though. And they knew the shooting schedule was not going to work. So ultimately what they did was they said, Hey, thank you, NBC. <laughs> so here, here they've offered you basically a blank checkbook, 13 episodes, a Super Bowl launch and Mike and Greg go to them and say, Hey, thank you. No, <laughs> what we'll do instead <laughs> is we're going to take a March launch and six episodes. Uh, is that okay? I, I just can't, you can't even imagine, but they did that to get Amy Poehler. And the whole thing was about making the show around her. They mentioned that in that Paley Fest 2011 interview um, briefly, but not as directly. And then, you know, Mike Schur, you know, here and more recently in the last year had this interview with, with Rob Lowe and kind of really told what really happened there. So uh, the fact those two things together and the fact that, you know, that first season was so rough, um, you know, and they, they, they have some, they take some umbrage with that, but, and I think rightfully so, but, you know, like we said, those six episodes were good by any standards. They're just not as good as the rest of Parks and Rec. Agreed. Agreed. And, but, you know, they, they kind of took that risk just to get Amy Poehler. And I, I say, well played. Right. And, and, you know, you and I have said this on several occasions, so I won't I won't lambaste it anymore. Yeah. Season one, I know it's kind of the kind of kind of the whipping boy for for the for the the series. But it's still look an episode in the Parks and Rec universe, as I've always said, a one in Parks and Rec could be a five or more in in the grand universe of sitcom because it's just that good of a show. Um, And uh, (laughs) I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when. um, Greg Daniels was like, hey, you're giving us more than we could ever ask for or ever deserve or will ever get ever again, ever and giving us more freedom than we will ever get. Yeah, let's let me just tell you how it's going to be. And just, you know, (laughs) I I got a different plan. (laughs) I wonder if he was terrified going into that, that someone was just going to, you know, take a hammer to his head or something. But, Uh, you know, it worked out. It did work out. Absolutely. You know, one interesting thing that. that I noticed, um, and I had forgotten this, but I, I remembered it because, you know, Wikipedia makes me smart uh, or wherever <laughs> I read it, was that uh, Parks and Rec, like The Office, yeah, it received questionable reviews in season one. Yeah, they both but did. But critical acclaim in season two. True. Yeah. And, and increased viewership. I mean, I think it's, it's fair to say, you know, I, I feel personally, I've rewatched both now recently obviously mm-hmm. this parks and rep because of this podcast and sure office just because you know it, it seems to always be on with the when you have a 15 year old daughter in the house <laughs> but um but yeah the i'd say there's a lot in common in that first season you know you, you remember i think again we both did because we started re-watching this show for the sake of going through this podcast sure. and how rough those first six were but if you go back and look at the first six of the office 
I'd almost argue they're rougher, frankly. Yeah. You know, and both shows really get their critical, you know, their critical acclaim and their their fan base solid in season two. So they they also have that in common. And you know what? Even even the the most diehard fans who would go, no, season one wasn't that bad. You know what? Fair enough. But I think that almost anyone would agree with me on this Um, for both Office and Parks and Rec and season one. They just hadn't found their voice, so to speak. Yeah. It, it, yeah. they, they do not reach the heights then that they're going to reach. So yeah. l- let's leave it at that. No. And, and there, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, kind of, you know, what makes some of Mike Schur's shows unique. And one of those themes we'll talk about is the kind of the heart of the shows. And I think, you know, there, it's true here too, that part of those two shows and, and others finding their place and kind of their voice, as you put it, really comes to giving their protagonist the right mix of, uh, you know, cringiness, because they share that. <laughs> M- Michael has it in bigger spades than mm-hmm. Leslie, which is the right choice, by the way. Good job, guys. Um, <laughs> you know, true heart and caring about the people that they work with and who work for them, right? And then just being funny. Um, and when they get that balance right, man, it's hard to, hard to beat those, those characters in, in these shows. I completely agree. And I have more to say about that, but I'm going to leave yeah. it till later so we can kind of get on to a couple yep. of the other yep. other things that uh, Mike Schur did. Um, yeah. So what was I, next on your list after Office? Well, next on the list, uh, or we did Parks and Rec. Yep. So we have SNL, Office, and Parks and Rec. That's and, right. Uh, uh, oh, just as a note to end up Park and Rec, I am guilty for not having seen uh, the Parks and Recreation special from last year, 2020. Did you oh, see you that? Have to watch that. I did. It was terrific. I, you know, it was one of the <sighs> things. You know, obviously, we're sitting here. You know, I don't know when people will listen to this. Hopefully, for a long time, and you know, uh, you know, 20 years from now. <laughs> oh, of course. Back. But you know, we're sitting here in 2021. But you know, in 2020, during the pandemic. Uh, we had this Parks and Rec reunion show. And I got to say, it was one of the things along the way that was just kind of like medicine for my soul. And I think a lot of people felt that way. It was just so nice to see them together. Was, they did this really creative, um, socially distance, um, you know, pandemic aware episode, if you will. And it was kind of like, how would these characters, you know, what are they doing in the pandemic? Um, and you know, they weren't the only show to do that, but that they were my favorite to do it. And, uh, it's definitely worth a watch. That's so cool. That that's definitely on my to watch list. Maybe I'll do that today. Yeah. Anyway. So next on the list, uh, is Brooklyn nine, nine. Yeah. Um, great show. So I, Alan, I have to admit to you, I, I am, uh-huh. uh, I'm a disappoint, uh, is this our, like taxi our, cab our, confessions is this our, PG friendly. It, it, well, <clears throat> it will be now. Um, so, no, I, I have to admit, I'm I'm guilty of not being as familiar with the great show Brooklyn Nine-Nine as I should be. I, I, I think that I have watched episodes from time to time because other members of my family have, have had it on. And I would kind of watch an episode and it would be like out of order and I didn't really know the context. So I don't really think it, it had the, okay, the umph that you got to stop know. right there. Yeah. You know what I'm going to say here too, right? I, now. I know what you're yeah. going to say. Yeah. So watching shows out of order it, it may it may be one of my pet peeves and something i'm not really capable of doing <laughs> just ask my family there is a therapy group i go twice a week but you for uh, just okay in all fairness any show any show 
<laughs> especially the Star Wars trilogy, the original one, not the sucky ones. You, you've got to watch them all and you got to watch them in order. Otherwise, what are you doing? Folks, I have to say, this is this is this is one of my favorite <laughs> moments because I know how absolutely broken oh. Alan is in this respect. And and you oh. would think you would think that I would have sympathy and go man i no. i understand i laugh every single time yeah. uh star wars doctor who it doesn't I, matter no it doesn't matter so yes but you know what point taken buddy i i i do want to watch them in order i mean you know what in all seriousness if nothing else i like seeing how a show progresses yeah. like especially since That's we've fair. been doing this podcast you know yeah. like how did they start did they have their voice did they not have their voice yeah. how long did it take till it kind of became you know the show that that everyone knows and loves well we we've teased about this you know podcast number 27 or whatever <laughs> i'm up for a brooklyn 99 podcast frankly um i think it's one of those shows you know again the Parks and Rec's our focus here today, as it should be. But Brooklyn Nine Nine, right. you know, Mike. Mike was a creator on this show. You know, it's really in the way that Parks is Mike's show and Office is Greg's show. This is really Dan Gore's show. Right. And you know, Dan is someone that you know uh, that Mike met at Harvard. Um, he wrote episodes of The Office and Parks and Rec. Um, ultimately, you know, he became the showrunner, co-creator of Brooklyn Nine Nine. It's his show, and. Um, it stands on its own two feet for sure. It's a totally right. different show. You know, there's no sense of any kind of, you know, spinoff or anything like that. It's just a totally different universe and it's a hilarious universe. And there are just some real character gems on there. And, and I'm telling you, if you watch the show, you're going to really be glad you did. Nice. Well, high praise indeed. Yeah. Um, I, I knew it was kind of, we're using the term baby, like, you know, as Dan Gore's baby. I did know right. that for, for the most part, I think I yeah. can be argued. Um, and I also knew this is very basic. I know to anyone who's a fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but, you know, it, it, Fox canceled it after five seasons and NBC said, uh-uh, right. and they got it and, and for good and and uh, and picked it up and for season six and seven. And I think season eight is set to come out this year in 2021 sometime, right? Yeah, I think if it's, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I think it might at one point, I thought it was a January release, and it may still be. I'm not positive. I know it is coming out, though, and I think like a lot of shows, it got pushed back because of, you know, what happened in 2020. Sure. But, um, yeah, season eight is going to happen for sure. And, uh, you know, some shows toward the end or you feel like they maybe just keep it on too long and, you know, quote, jump the shark, if you remember that phrase from the, oh, yeah. the happy days, uh, hey. you know, hey. yeah era uh, speaking of characters on parks and rec right um or well actors oh, yeah. <laughs> although i would like to see the phones on parks and rec but i'll take henry linkler absolutely but, um, but uh i i don't feel like that show is past its prime it hasn't jumped the shark yet and i'm hoping it doesn't for a while um you know every show has its course and sometimes we agree with when they end the show and sometimes we don't but right now i'm still enjoying that show a lot well, you know, Alan, that's a great segue, I think, to the the fifth and final one on my big five for yeah. Mike Shore, which is one of my all-time favorite shows, The Good Place. Uh, okay. <clears throat> and it, it started in 2016, and it's already over. It has run its course, and it's done. Mm. So it had four seasons, 53 episodes. Um, now, for this, you know, Mike Shore, this is definitely Mike Shore's baby. He was the show creator, absolutely 100%. Um, this show, folks, if you haven't seen this show, Alan, you've seen this show, right? All right. So here we go. We're back oh, in the confessional no, now. No. 
Look, look, look. Okay. <laughs> I've been busy and okay. Here, here, here's the, the total truth. Uh-huh. I've known for a while about this show. I've known that I'm negligent and that I've got to get my butt in gear and watch it. So in preparation for today's show, I started watching the pilot. And I don't know, something blew up this week at work. I don't remember what it was. It doesn't matter because um, it's not funny. <laughs> and, uh, Insert dumpster fire here. Yeah, you got yeah. it. And because yeah. um, we're good at those now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just, I couldn't, I, I want to finish the pilot. I can tell that this is going to be a good show. I can tell, I've kind of already gotten the shtick of the show and kind of what it's going to, you know, why it's going to be a good show to watch. You know, I did do some reading about kind of like, you know, morality and how, you know, it's interesting to put that in the context of a comedy. And that was the big challenge with this show, you know, so I'm, I'm really anxious to kind of dig in and, and start watching for sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, Alan, I actually, but you said Mark, it only went four seasons. Cause I thought the formula was six seasons in a movie. I got well, that someplace. Yeah. It's freaking community. Uh, <laughs> another good show. We haven't really talked about that, but yeah, I, yeah, I know. I, it's 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 the six degrees thing, man. Yeah, it really um, is. No, you know, I, I was. I think that maybe there are a few uh, viewers out there, and we you know we know they're not viewers um, of um, that maybe aren't familiar like you, unfortunately, with the Good yep. Place. And, and I wanted to give it a little a little boost here. Um, you know, like we said, it only ran for four seasons, and this is something that I thought was very interesting. They had a story. They knew what they wanted to tell. They told it and they ended it and they ended it while, in my opinion, while they were on top. I mean, mm. it, it, it is really, really well done. So for, for those of you who have no idea what The Good Place is, just really quickly, the, the premise is you follow our protagonist, Eleanor, and it's after her death. And she's welcomed into this heaven-like utopia that's called The Good Place. Mm. Uh, so that's Kristen Bell plays uh, uh, Eleanor. Super and, and 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 uh, the good place is designed and run by the architect Michael, who's played by Ted Danson, who I absolutely adore. Is, um, is it that Michael? Um, you know the one in the Bible. Let's 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 not answer that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll tune in and see. Maybe. Um, okay. All right. That's fair. You know what? That's fair. So, so. I, the premise is, you know, she realizes, though, as she's doing some self-reflection up there, that she was sent there by mistake. Yep. So I now, got that far. So now so everything now, else will be new to me. Well, yeah. So now it's like that. I mean, that's the whole thing is like, holy hell, like what I'm in heaven over here and, and I'm not I'm kind of a sleaze. So now I better uh-huh. do, do good. I, yeah. You know, so now it's like, what do you do? So I got to say this. When I first watched this show. I was prepared to hate it. I was so prepared to hate it. And and it's it's for three reasons. One, okay. It was really different. It was in the it was in the extremely niche genre of philosophical fantasy comedy. I could not wrap my head around it. Well, the other 20 of those I love. No, I'm sorry. There's only there's like three, maybe. Yeah. So I couldn't wrap my head around it, you know? Yeah. And then and then the other thing uh, too is that the premise worried me like you know how a lot of shows have a premise that are like okay this could take you through season one now what Uh, you've kind of written yourself into a corner or i'm afraid that's going to happen like well where are you going to go from here blah 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 yeah absolutely um and the and the third thing is honestly i was wary about combining concepts like heaven hell life after death you know which can be potentially very serious somber philosophical blah 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 yeah 
with comedy that's actually funny and works, you know? And I figured it would either make the serious stuff too light and fluffy, or it would, it would make it serious, but at the risk of comedy. And he, he, dude, he did it. I, like I, he walked a tightrope and he, he got the best of all worlds. It was amazing. Well, that, that's high praise. I'm, I'm definitely going to have to tune in and see that show. I, I, I can tell, like I said, from the small bit I've watched that, you know, I, I can see why I'll finish it for sure. And I, you, you know, I'll, I'll take you at your word that, uh, and quite a few others words that it's a, uh, it's worth the watch as well. Nice. Nice. I think that's it for my top five list. Well, that's good. I mean, I think, you know, it, you know, obviously the thing that all those shows have in common, you know, and not just Mike, but they have Mike in common. Right. Right. And, you know, I, I started digging into trying to understand, you know, well, how can I be Mike? Sure. Cause you know, one, I'm jealous. And two, you know, uh, I want access to his bank account. I want to well, be Mike. Sure. There's that. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, how does this even happen? Right. So, right. you know, I, I think for me, the, I, I played that six degrees as we called it game a little bit. And, you know, I think obviously take out any familial influences. Let's just say that I think Harvard is kind of the anchor of it all. Cause that he, mm-hmm. he, you know, I think that gets him the opportunity to be recognized later. You know, he did the, the lampoon, which gave him, kind of a, a body of work, if you will, that he could then take on his audition reel or in his right. resume. Uh, and, you know, he, he gets this gig at Saturday Night Live, um, which, you know, I, I think is, is pretty interesting to, to read about how that happened. But, you know, once he did, then I think everything else is history, as they say, right? Because that's where he meets Greg. And then, you know, as Greg gets the call from from NBC and, uh-huh. and Ricky Gervais and says, Hey, can you, you know, create an American version of the office? He, he taps Mike and then, then really we're now we're, you know, jump forward five shows and we're here. Right. We're off and running. We're off and running. So, you know, I, I think that you look at the spider web and, you know, we mentioned community. It's part of that spider web. It's not a Mike sure show, but you know, it's creator, um, you know, was part of the office at one point and Mm -hmm. all these other shows, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you know, Dan Gore was part of that universe. And so all all these things, you know, Rashida Jones is in there a couple different ways, a couple different times, and she's got her own trajectory. And so all all of these things really kind of come back to this core that I I think largely started at, at SNL because some of the characters who recur in both the office and in parks and in other shows are, are folks that they worked with back on the Saturday Night Live days. Um, I think, you know, before I got into this deep dive a little bit, I, I thought it was a little more from the office, but I think it's really from SNL and the office is from SNL. And then, you know, that was the incubator for a lot of what happens next. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I think from from hearing you kind of go through that six degrees of Kevin Bacon there, I, I, I think you're right. I think that um, it seems to me like SNL is kind of the core of that where it really, really, really started to spiderweb out. I mean, as we talked about, yeah. I think that there were uh, a, a gaggle, a haggle of, uh-huh. um, <laughs> of uh, uh, associates that he uh he went to Harvard with as, as chance would have it, which is kind of cool. But yeah, I yeah. think SNL is where it really started to like supernova out. Yeah. Well, and, and I mentioned the Rob Lowe literally podcast earlier, you know, he, he, it's, it's, if you listen to that show, I think the power of SNL becomes instantly apparent because 
you know, and I mentioned Rob knows all these people from multi-generations of Hollywood. Right. It's crazy how many of them and how often the conversation turns back to Lauren Michael. Mm. And the one thing that they they and, and Rob and others consistently say is Lauren's eye for spotting talent and how crazy it is and how good it is. Interesting. And, you know, yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, it didn't hurt Mike. I'm sure that he'd written for the Harvard Lampoon and maybe that's what got him his opportunity to get even considered by a Lauren Michaels, but ultimately, you know, Lauren, like he did with so many people saw something and, you know, he was on Saturday Night Live, not as a giant contributor for what, a year and a half before he really started doing stuff. Yep. Um, big stuff, like, you know, when he took over a weekend update and things right. like that. Right. So, you know, he was just a small bit player. But, you know, Lauren makes space for those people to finally find their voice. And, um, you know, I think that's how we're sitting here talking about him today, frankly. That is really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. The other thing I, I, you know, I think that's what's another consideration for that big five you mentioned, plus everything else that he's had his fingers and hands on, you know, is this kind of concept of comedy with heart. I mean, in my research and just listening to interviews, every time somebody talks about Mike, uh, when Amy does or anyone else, they're really talking about how, you know, the character development is based on not just trying to find the punchline. Um, but real characters with real depth, you know, heart and strong friendships that, that, that theme kept coming up over and over again. I absolutely, you know, one observation that I made is uh, although all of the shows that he's involved with here are absolutely comedies through and through no doubt. Yep. And yet it seems as though he he's constantly, you know, kind of shifting and testing and mucking around with the the so-called tried and true comedy formula. Like, for example, he um, he uses cliffhangers at episode end. He you know the the plots in the show are crafted with tremendous care. There there are you know huge plot twists and, and these things that I'm mentioning actually are all more representative or reminiscent of lengthier programs like like hour-long shows or, or movies but and also more or less dramas rather than comedies like you don't see these things in sitcoms but he's put that degree of of freaking substance in there which is really amazing well and, and i think you know too he he credits that from uh, i read a vulture article where he talks about and he, and he did this in a couple of the audio interviews and video interviews i listened to as well he, he really, you know, he almost immediately, um, you know, sheds that off and, and, and gives credit to someone else, which, you know, that humility is nice to see. And I think that's sure. one of the other themes I read in working with him is that people find him to be, a, you know, uh, I mean, he's successful, very successful, and there's no doubting that. And but he, he, that humility and the way he works with actors and how generous he is to them, but he immediately credits them and their talents as being, you know, uh, part of the way they're able to find the people on which um, you can build those those characters and those qualities and those relationships. And without good actors in the place and funny actors in those places, you know, without that comedic bench, you're just not going to have that success at telling the story that way, I think is basically what he says. Well, you know, that, that's true. I mean, all, all the ingredients in the recipe have to come together properly to make the, you know, the best cake in the world. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I do have a clip here where we, you know, he talks a little bit about this kind of in his own words and let's take a quick listen to that. Sure. 
Now, then, you know, all the fun run stuff, all the great, you know, comedic moments, but then there were really, really amazing, heartfelt moments, not just heartfelt moments, but serious, oh, I should maybe rethink my life moments. The one that was the most surreal for me, I remember watching this, was it's the episode where John Larroquette guest starred. And Galentine's Day. It, um, Galentine, yeah. yeah. And it's... Um, Leslie uh, is was dating um, uh, Justin Theroux's character, and there's that whole thing where he's going to reunite Leslie's mom with this boy, that he, and that, that's the John Larroquette character, and it, it's a huge disaster, and Justin's saying, oh my God, it was so hilarious how awful that was, and what a great story, and, and Leslie starts to realize this guy's, like, he's not that good, and out of nowhere... Leslie and Ron Swanson have one of the deepest conversations at that where he goes, he's a tourist. He's just here for the story. He doesn't care what he wrecks. And it was such an, like, do you know when you're writing a, a, a scene like that? Like, how do you fit that? Because then you, get, you go back into the comedy and also comedy is leading up to that moment. Is it a struggle to, because it, it felt so natural and real. It did not feel like, oh, we're grinding the gears to get to this moment. It totally followed where the characters were going, and it was, it was pretty stunning to watch. Well, that was part of the design of the show, honestly. Um, and this came from, from Greg Daniels at The Office. Is like, he was like, look, it's not easy to do this because it feels like sincerity and honesty and, and gooeyness is like the opposite of coolness, you know? And... and, and um, Greg was always like, we're going to carve, we're going to take a chunk of time in every episode of The Office and we're going to just carve it out and say, like, there aren't going to be jokes here. There's going to be some kind of, like, sincere emotional thing going on between the characters. And it's hard to do because it feels, like, gooey. It feels like, ugh, are people going to think I'm not cool if we write this stuff? But it was so, obviously for that show, it was like, that's what... That's why people still watch that show. Like, people still watch... And the people still watch Friends for Ross and Rachel and they still watch... The office for Jim and Pam, and so from the beginning, that was just the design of it. So, uh, the reason I picked that clip, Mark, is because I, I really feel like that covered quite a few things. You know, uh, you know, again, kind of this, this, these heartfelt friendships. You know, he mentioned there. You know, Leslie and Anne. Um, you know, he talked about kind of the origin of you know, true. Uh, meaningful relationships kind of stemming from the work they did together with, with he did with, together with Greg Daniels on the office. And that was something kind of Greg set up and it kind of became something I think Mike inherited and has reused over and over again, very successfully. You know, the, 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 the relationships go beyond the comedy. Um, you can look at even some of the great, you know, uh, nemesis moments. There are touching moments between Dwight and Jim on the office. Yes. Uh, not to mention, you know, Jim and Pam and, and others. And, and he mentioned Galentine's Day in there and, uh, you know, and, and kind of like how that, you know, Leslie uses that to, to really just kind of create this circle of friends for her. And, you know, it's, it's almost like something you see somebody really doing in real life. Yeah, you know what? That's a great point. And, and to kind of springboard off of that, I would also say that, um, you know, uh, let's call it romantic, if you want, romantic relationships in, in Mike Shore's shows. Um, they, uh, unlike other shows, they aren't written for the cheap drama. Like, you know, oh, one person cheated on the other or, oh, they're always bickering and fighting. You know, they, 
these are just he writes them as intelligent decent people who like genuinely love each other they're trying to make the relationship work they make each other better they want each other to succeed and often relationships like that like like leslie and ben they're often a major source of the heart of his shows it's true and i think if um you know, I've been kind of monitoring and, and participating in some of the social media that's still out there around Parks and Rec, even though the show obviously, you know, went off the air quite a few years ago. You know, it, it moved to, to Peacock recently, so NBC has been kind of back and active in promoting it. But, you know, the, the Leslie Ben, or it's actually got its own name. It's Bensley. <laughs> the Bensley <laughs> movement is is big and people still love it to this day. And, you know, um, you know there were, I know that there was a segment I listened to in one of those interviews where they talked about, you know, Leslie kind of going through a, a period where she was dating different guys. They mentioned Justin, that character there and how, you know, just some great writing around that where, you know, Ron has this great conversation with Leslie where, you know, he just says, you know, he's just in it for the moment. He's a tourist, you know, he's not, mm. he's not here for the long haul. And then, you know, they introduced Ben, and I think, you know, when as a as an option for her when Ben and Chris came on the show. And um, <clears throat> I think, you know, they they didn't know necessarily from what I read and what I heard Mike say that that was going to be her long-term relationship when they introduced it. They were kind of maybe thinking it was just another, you know, guy that Leslie would date. And then they saw it and they saw the chemistry between the two of them. They're like, we can't break these two up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, I think happy accidents sometimes happen in good writing, uh, good comedic actors are part of the formula. And then when you have that success, it's, it's, you know, there's a piece of luck there, but it's certainly a lot of talent too. Agreed. Agreed. Well said. You know, the other two things that I thought were interesting in that clip that maybe we can wrap up with today uh, thematically and, and are, are the two themes that we haven't talked about yet that I think are also present in all of Mike's body of work. Um, comedic improv, right? And the fact that they've used improvisation so successfully. And then really just how, and I just kind of mentioned it a little bit, here we are this many years later, we're doing a podcast well after the show's over. It's still a very popular show. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at the number of hours that were streamed for this show and Office before those two shows left Netflix and went over to Peacock, they were in the billions of minutes, billions wow. with a B. Wow. So they still, and my daughter, you know, she's 15. So whole new generations love these shows, even though they've been over for years, there's obviously some staying power there. And I think a lot of it comes back to these, these elements that we're talking about. Yeah, that that's well said, Alan. I, you know, I was trying to think about a, a way that I would try and summarize why, why I like Michael Shore's shows uh, so much or why I think they have such such saying power and you know it, it, I know it sounds like a tired cliche to, how many times have you heard someone say oh this show is really well written and it's so intelligent and it's filled with details and and you might miss it if you're not careful and there's nothing wrong with saying that by the way but I don't know about your experience but in mine Alan more often than not the people that I've heard saying these things 
they're kind of doing it in a self-congratulatory way. Like, you know, oh, this show is yeah. so smart. Yeah. Only the top 1% of the population could truly get and understand all of its subtle nuances. It, it, it's a good thing that I'm here. Yeah. Thank God that, you know, that they're there to guide us through the, you know, what only the 1% can understand. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, here's the trick in my opinion. And this is one of the things that I think Mike Shore is one of the best at doing is the truth is his shows are smart. They are detailed. They are well-written. They are intelligent. But at the same time, it, his shows are smart and deep without being inscrutable. That is a real challenge, I think. And that requires some real talent. And he's he's one of the best at it. Um, you know, what? one of the things that I enjoy the most about his shows um, and one thing that, that makes them so enjoyable and gives them such staying power are the, the slew of uh, improv uh, talent that he frequently has on his shows. You know, how, how often have we talked about um, taking some, some comic genius like Aziz Ansari and just winding him up and letting him go? Yep, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's been a host of others from, uh, you know, Amy Poehler, obviously, uh, Louis C.K. I mean, the, the list just goes on and on. And that's just in Parks and Rec. That's true. And, and you know, I, I think we've talked about this scripted versus improv formula before. And, you know, I've made the point that, you know, just listening to them talk about the office and on their podcast and, and kind of knowing here behind the scenes, you know, that the office, again, I think highly, highly scripted, you know, it's a three percenter, maybe, maybe not even that high, frankly, on what kind of makes it in that was improvised. You know, one of the things that was interesting on this show, they talk about when they do scenes, they have a thing they call the fun run. And the fun run is where they basically just, they've, they've captured what's on script, right? And worst case, they've got that, they're ready to move on. Right. But hey, you know, let's take a minute to maybe let some of these great comedic talents stretch their limbs a little bit, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure Aziz does this all the time and we know he does it well. And we know that, um, you know, those jump cut pieces uh, play a part in that. And that's kind of, a, a, you know, a, a architectural device they've used to kind of create oh, quick yeah. bits of comedy. Yep. The improvisation stuff, you know, when it happens, they, they do use it and they don't always use it. Um, there's a clip here from the 2014 Paley Fest that um, I think we can listen to really quick where Mike talks about this. Yes, please. Hi, how often do you guys improv your lines and like how much of it ends up in the episode? Um, not, not a lot of it. Um, most of the stuff that gets in the episode is was the well-written jokes from the writers. We get a chance sometimes when we kind of feel like we get the script to play around, um, and and sometimes that makes it in. Um, sometimes the like jump cut stuff where it's like a talking head and we're doing different things that can sometimes be improvised. Um, but um, for the most part, the, the 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 feeling of getting to play around and, improv- and improvise is uh, pervasive on our set, but at the end of the day, we usually um, have the written jokes end up in the script. Would you you say that's the case? Yeah, but I would also say that every person in the cast has had improvised material in the show. Some of the absolute best lines were improvised. (laughs) In my opinion, the funniest thing that's ever happened, the funniest line ever spoken on our show is improvised by Chris Pratt, which is when Leslie has the flu and she's being let out and he's just at the computer, he's filling in at Ron's desk and he says, Leslie, I typed your symptoms into this thing up here and it says you could have network connectivity problems. (laughs) (laughs) Improvised line. 
And honest, I'm not kidding. As a writer, it made me furious. <laughs> I was, I'm still really upset and angry. He did it once. It, the camera happened to be on him. He did it once, and it's the funny. I think it's the funniest joke that's ever been on our show. So there you go. I, I, I think, you know, according to Mike, the funniest thing it's ever been funniest line ever on the show was actually improvised, you know, and uh, <laughs> I love how he says that, that, that as a writer that drives him crazy. But, you know, again, I mean, they've got this comedic bench and, you know, and even even Chris Pratt, who I think we would argue is not a, a classically trained comedian. Right. Is really stretching, you know, his his wings and and really helping make the show that much funnier. Um Another improv that they mentioned that I thought was hysterical was, um, you know, do you remember the the episode uh, with Chris later where he's looking at himself in the mirror and he goes, stop pooping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's another meme. It's another fun run, though. So they they created this architecture that allowed, you know, them to have these off script moments. <laughs> and when they can, they use them. And, you know, most of it, like they said, winds up on the floor. Oh, yeah. I know. I agree with these stop booming. I'm still laughing about that. Um, yeah. If you yeah. have that talent, if you have that bench, why in the world would you not take a, a few minutes and, and leverage that? You know, that that's really smart on their part. Um, you know, I was going to ask you, uh, I, I know I've already admitted that I, I need to get more into Brooklyn Nine-Nine, shame on me. Um, yeah. You and I have talked in the past, Alan, about how, yeah, The Office has some improv, but not not nearly as much as Parks and Rec. Do you have any feel for Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Just curious as far as where it where it falls on that on that scale. I, I think it's less than uh, than Parks, from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a little more scripted. You know, I, I think on on Brooklyn, you know, they, again, they've they've got some really good writing, and I see at times where they let they want his name's character his character's name there is Jake. They wind Jake up a little bit and let him go, but it's not to the level that you see. Uh, you know, Aziz do it here on Parks and Rec. Um, Super funny show, but my gut is it's a little less improv and a lot more scripted. Right, which nothing wrong with that at all. It's it's just it's a different no, not uh, at all. It's a, it's a different way to accomplish it. But yeah, if you have the the improv chops around you, why not leverage that? I totally agree. Well, and I think too the the story structure can lend itself to that. I'd say that Parks and Rec does. Brooklyn probably creates those opportunities. I wonder, you know, again, I'll ask you then. So the good place to me that feels a lot a lot more like a, a place where there wouldn't necessarily be those opportunities for improv. I agree. Um, it's it's the 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 plot feels to me. The, the honest answer is I don't know, but but it feels to me like the plot yeah. is much more tight. Like there, there has, there's rarely been something where I, I would say what they just did was so wacky that there's no way that a writer could come up with it. Oh, but I don't know. I mean, I, you know, the honest answer is, I don't know. I, I, my guess would be, it would be parks or it would be office level or less kind of like Brooklyn nine, nine. Yeah. Well, if we, if we ever get a chance to deep dive on those shows, we'll have to look into that and find out for sure. Absolutely. So the the last thing on my list, Mark, you know, was really kind of, you know, it was kind of twofold. It was really, you know, 
talking again about Mike Schur and why his shows are successful. We hit on this a little bit about the, it's really, you know, and Mike says it, it's the actors that they've gotten in the show. Um, you know, the people they've chosen, again, this kind of went back to Greg Daniels, which went back to a Lorne Michael thing, frankly, where they said, just get the funniest person. And, you know, there's, there's some dialogue between Mike and, and, um, and Amy Poehler, where they're talking about Louis CK, for example. And, you know, I think that part was written as this hunky cop. Um, And then (laughs) Amy goes, let's get Louis CK. And, and people looked at her and went, did you read the thing about hunky cop? Because, you know, not necessarily what you think of when you think of him. Um, but again, it went back to that formula of just get the funniest person and then we'll make it work. And, you know, um, why do these actors like having working with Mike Schur at the end of the day? And, you know, and, and part of it was the, the theme that I kept I saw that would keep coming up was this, you know, they've created these flexible spaces for these actors um, to do other things while they're on this show. Um, And, you know, outside of the show itself. And and I think that's kind of rare. I know definitely in the old days, you know, the eighties and seventies, eighties and nineties in Hollywood, that was kind of unheard of, you know, the, they, they would guard your talent very jealously you weren't allowed to work on other projects while you did this you know that's one of the reasons that pierce brosnan came to be james bond so late because he he was tied up um on on his show there and they would not let him out of his contract to go play james bond mm-hmm. um but um here they mentioned I, I love this they mike mentioned you know for chris pratt uh you know pratt comes to them and says Hey, I've got this opportunity to do this Marvel movie. Um, you know, there's this talking raccoon. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're like, that's great, Chris. That sounds awesome. And of course, the, to themselves, they're thinking, uh, talking raccoon. Yeah, that's going to be great. <laughs> but, you know, we all know that turned out to be, uh, you know, Guardians. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so when that, when that happened, you know, they had, a, they had the option to write Chris out of the show, Um permanently or to figure out a way to make it work and um when they found out that the filming location for guardians was going to be london guess what they did they wrote into the show that they would go to london and they made that a plot point so that that was a way in which they actually made it work not only for themselves but they made it work for chris and they they got to keep then you know uh him on the show as andy I think that that's really smart. And, you know, of, of course, in the in the case of Chris Pratt, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. So you'd go, well, you know, are, are you telling me are you telling me that we have an opportunity in hindsight to have Star-Lord a, a, on, on our comedic <laughs> cast? What you know, a, a, with his in all seriousness, as big as that movie was, why would you not do that? But they obviously don't know. Like, OK, know yeah. you're going to film Rocky Raccoon or whatever the heck you're filming over there. That could be a complete flop. But you know what? The way I would look at it is if you can work with it, so to speak on the show and it's a flop, meh, you're not really any worse off. I, right. I, 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 well, you know what I'm saying that because for the majority of the cast on the show, they were relative, eh, relative unknowns, I would say, except for Amy Poehler. So if, if you had, if you try something and blop it, you know, it flops, meh, you're really no worse off than you were. Right. On the other hand, you go and you do something cool. You go, Hey, look who, who we have star Lord come watch parks yeah. and rec, you know? 
Yep. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's, it's karmic payback, right? You're, yep. I, I think we know you're going to get back what you put into it. And if you're generous and I, I think then that's going to create those long-term relationships and that loyalty. And, you know, to your point, I mean, he became a huge movie star yeah. and he didn't leave the show. Um, he kept playing Andy Dwyer, which, you know, again, I, and I don't know, you, lots of people say different things about Chris Pratt and I won't get into any of that, but at the end of the day, I got to believe that those things where they were generous to him, that was in the back of his mind when he decided whether or not he was going to stay with that show now that he's this giant movie star. Oh, I would have to agree. I mean, you, cl clearly the choice was in front of him to go, okay, I've yeah. done your little sitcom thing. Right. Good Goodbye. But <laughs> right. yeah, you know, as, as cheesy as it sounds to say it, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% certain that you're right. If you, you can have people that jealously guard talent and like, no, you're under contract. You can't do this. You can't do right. this. Or you can do it like Mike Shore did, and you can actually foster, again, as cheesy as it sounds, you can foster real relationships, real trust, real loyalty with people. And I got to think that comes back around. You know, I'm sure that yeah. there are a slew of really good actors and actresses, comedians, what have you, that would say, I'm going to do this show. I am going to do this movie. And do you know why? Because this person is producing it or because this person is the director or because this person is starring in it. And maybe not because that person or producer or whatever has the best drawing power, but because they trust that person implicitly and have loyalty. That's powerful. That is powerful. You know, I think that's a good segue for us to wrap up on too. Um, you know, Amy Poehler, I think is in addition to Mike Sure, one of the reasons that this show has been so successful Yeah, and that this, this, this crew considers themselves lucky and talented or lucky to be associated with her because, you know, Mike is the showrunner, yes, but so kind of is Amy in terms of being the, you know, she's at the top of the cast list. And they talked a lot about how that person sets the tone for the show. Right. And that whole generous spirit thing, that's part of Amy's shtick as well. And if she wasn't supporting that, it wouldn't be happening. So yes, Mike did kind of create the environment for that. But all it takes is some prima donna person, male, female, doesn't matter, who's so full of themselves and what it, you know, and their star power that, you know, they wouldn't, they would not give that flexibility to those other supporting cast members either. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and the reason I bring that up is, and I think the reason it's a good segue is we hope you guys like listening to the show today. And one of our goals is to eventually do more Pawnee spotlights. And, um, you know, I think Amy Poehler is, a, is an obvious one. Um, we've talked about doing some fun ones like uh, maybe, uh, you know, Leslie's Nemesi, um, you know, all, all of her various nemesis. Right, right. Yep. Um, and, and some other ideas. So, um, you know, write into us. Let us know if you enjoyed this. Uh, let us know if you have other ideas for other spotlight episodes you'd like us to do. And we'll get Constantine on it. We'll get him researching. We'll figure out, you know, what's what's fun to talk about and what might be interesting to go. And we'll do some digging and we'll put together another show for you. Yeah. Well said, Alan. Yeah. We can't wait to hear from, uh, from you, our loyal viewers. And Alan, we... <laughs> We they're know not they're not. They're, we know they're not viewers. But yeah, please, please uh, contact us. Write into us. Let let us know what you like and what you don't. And uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining. Uh, we really enjoyed doing this episode. And again, we hope to do another one soon. And until then, take care, and we'll see you next time. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. 
Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us.